Ja, ja. ja. Mm. Hello and welcome to As It Comes, life from a musician's point of view. I'm Davina, I'm a freelance cellist based in London, and here in the Northern Hemisphere, summer's over. Boom. I, like many musicians, have started heading back into teaching, which is a bit of a struggle for me, as that part of my brain concerning teaching has been completely inactive for about two months. You know, you have those moments of, who are you again? With your students? Or, what PC are you playing? What books do you have? You have to wake up early again, which means setting an alarm for quite hideous hours of the morning. Meanwhile, some of your students have grown a foot over the summer, their voices have dropped an octave, or they've become hairier. They've been to all sorts of exotic global destinations I could only dream of, whilst forgetting all prior knowledge of the cello over the summer. <laughs> Good times. I'll share with you my favourite statement from a student this week. If Brexit happens, there'll be no more parmesan cheese, and that'd be so sad because I love parmesan cheese. Profound words from a nine-year-old. It's a pretty strong case for Remain, I have to say. Meanwhile, if you're in the Southern Hemisphere, you're probably enjoying the days getting longer, the sky getting bluer, and you're well into the thicker things teaching-wise, with no danger of running out of parmesan cheese. Not that winter is much to suffer through, especially if you're in Sydney, where I remember the coldest it ever got was a frigid 13 degrees. Oh, how we suffered. I had to wear a jumper. My guest today is Elizabeth Streichert. She's a pianist and the artistic director of the Facilia Ensemble, which has a core of six players. Within the instrumentation of piano, violin, violin slash someone who can play the viola as well, another viola, cello and double bass, there's flexibility to perform great staples of chamber music, as well as reductions of piano concertos that Ellie has arranged herself. It's a bit of an undertaking. We chat about her challenges with arranging concertos to finding performance opportunities, and also about her struggle with physical injury and how she embarked on a long road of therapy and recovery. It's something that a lot of musicians avoid talking about for fear of being judged or worrying it might be the end of their career. I hope you find something you can relate to or at least find it enlightening as to what it's like to deal with something of that magnitude. Anyway, here is my chat with Elizabeth. Gosh, I'm really hot. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's horrible to laugh. Here we are. Yes. Thanks so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. And we even got the right week for listeners. <laughs> Elizabeth thought that this interview was a week ago <laughs> and asked me if I wanted tea or coffee a week ago. And I thought, that's being very prepared. How long do you need to brew a cup of coffee? <laughs> but here we are now. Yeah. I was just too excited about it. Yeah. Too excited. You're yeah. clearly very excited. Yeah. I'm really, really glad. So it's currently about 29 degrees yep. today. What have you been up to in the sweltering heat? Well, the usual, really. I've been practicing the piano lots. <laughs> Which is really difficult when it's that hot. Yeah, I can it's, imagine. Yeah, it's not, not a nice thing to do, but it has to be done. And yeah. then teaching, that was really tough yesterday, just going to the station in the heat. That was the slowest walk I've done in a while, <laughs> I think. <laughs> yeah, teaching when you're hot and the student is hot. Yeah. And no one really wants to be there, no. right? 
Yeah. My student definitely didn't want to be there. <laughs> <laughs> Do you ever just feel like, oh, what if we just gave up and just all went outside? Yeah. That would be nice. Yeah. yeah. How do you find practicing in the heat? Because I really struggle. It gets very sunny in my living room. And sometimes I have the sun just beating down on my back. And I feel like I can't go on. I just can't go on. I have, in a way, the same problem. But I guess you just do it somehow. Mm-hmm. You lose some, some clothes maybe on the way. <laughs> <laughs> the bikini practice. Yes, exactly. Oh, yes. No, I've actually done that before, I think. When I lived in Sydney, because it was routinely this hot all year round. And so occasionally, if I knew I wasn't going anywhere and, and no one was home, I would just um, wear my swimsuit. Might I think a that's a great thing to do. <laughs> I remember that from uh, my days in Germany at the academy there. Those were rooms, the practice rooms were very good because you could lock them from the inside. There were no <laughs> windows. And in the summer, it was actually a thing. You would mm-hmm. maybe just play without a top on, but make sure that you locked the door so no one would randomly come in. <laughs> if these walls could talk. Yes, exactly. Whereabouts in Germany are you from? I'm from the north, the so north. near Hamburg, from a little coastal town on the North Sea. Oh, okay. Yeah. I don't really associate Germany with the coast. No one really does. <laughs> no one really is. But there are two, so there's the Baltic Sea and the North Sea. Okay, two yeah. coasts, you mean? Two coasts. Are you on the North Coast? North Sea. North Sea. It's very beachy. Very beachy? Very beachy. Oh, okay. I'm surprised. I yeah. just associate the North Sea with being very cold. Yeah. At the moment, it's not. Mm, no. True. <laughs> <laughs> so I think they have quite similar weather to what we have here now. Mm-hmm. No, and the beach is amazing. As I said, no one really knows this, but it's a sandy beach that's 13 kilometers long and three kilometers wide. Wow. Wide? Yes. yes. So three kilometers and to even the shore. More, yeah. Oh. And even more if the tide goes out, obviously. Oh, that's incredible. Then you just have nothing. Yeah. You won't see the sea. You will just see sound. It's pretty so it's epic. It's almost like you're in the desert and yeah. then there's an oasis at the end. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. might just go for a swim after this three kilometer walk yeah. I've just done. <laughs> I'm really happy that you use kilometers, by the way. Yeah. Because that's just one thing that drives me mad. I can't do miles <laughs> at all. I just, I, if someone says to me, it's 30 miles away, then I go, yeah, great. Yeah, what is that? I have no idea what that means. <laughs> no, I mean, I found this like a little bit too late, I think, when I started driving here in the UK. And of course, learning how to drive in New Zealand, and we use kilometers like the rest of the world, apart from the States. Your GPS will say, in two miles, turn left. And you think, when is that? Or even speeds. I thought, oh, I'm going, I'm going pretty fast, but it's only, it's only like saying I'm doing eighty. I'm like, oh, actually, that's that's really fast. Metric units are the way to go. Yeah, definitely. Once again, thank you for being here. And as you mentioned before, you're a pianist, practicing with varying degrees of success in the heat. Mm-hmm. But you're also the artistic director of the Facilia Ensemble, which is a sextet. So six core players, but also flexible in its instrumentation. So what drew you to setting up your own ensemble? So the idea essentially started when I was still a student at the Academy. At Royal Academy. At Royal Academy Mm -hmm. in London, where, as it is as a student, you have to play a final recital. But Mm. you also have to play your concerto exam in your last year. And I always hated the idea that you have to play a concerto exam, but all you have is a second piano for the orchestra part. To me, that just didn't really do the piece any justice, no matter what piece you're playing. And obviously it has to be done and you can't expect that, I don't know, for maybe 50 to 80 piano students that are graduating to have an orchestra (laughs) sitting there and going through 80 concertos would be a bit insane. (laughs) So there's obviously that, that problem. So... 
I did a little bit of research and came across Chopin Concerto that also has a transcription for string quintet Mm -hmm. and piano. So that made me think, okay, this is actually a great thing to do. And I had no idea what I was getting into, if it really would work in that setting, because obviously you use the, you lose the woodwinds, you lose all these colors of, of the orchestra. But I talked to my teacher about it and he thought it was a great idea. Then I had to go through the whole process. So if I had to go to the piano department, ask permission, is it okay if I play with string quintet rather than a second piano? Mm. They all said, yes, that's absolutely fine. You can do it. As long as you're up for organizing it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So it was all up to me and I had to put in the rehearsals. I had to find the players, etc. I actually also decided that I would do my own transcription of the piece. I think at that time, I think now they're more for string quintet. But at that time, there there were only transcriptions for string quartet. And I always thought that you would lose a little bit the depth that you get through the double bass. Sure, yeah. Plus you also have a little bit more flexibility with arranging things because the double bass then can sometimes jump in and play the cello part while the cello is busy playing the bassoon part or something. <laughs> this made me realize this actually works really well. So I noticed it in the in the first rehearsals that it didn't necessarily take anything away from the piece. Mm-hmm. And you still had that communication between string players and piano. And then it made me realize this is actually just chamber music. Yeah. And that essentially led to me saying, okay, now we have a concerto that at that time I then called concertos a miniature and I can combine it with other chamber music pieces because I have all the players here and that's great. You've got (laughs) all the, all the colors on your, on your palette now, so you might as well use them. And I think because so many people just really strive towards playing chamber music, it's it's such a luxury when you do get to do it. And here you get to, you get to do your solo repertoire, but in a more intimate setting, I imagine. And then incredible staples of chamber repertoire at the same time and that was exactly the thing that i thought we can bring it to concert spaces that not always have a concerto running because there's not enough space for a full orchestra plus a piano so it's quite i think to a lot of venues appealing that idea Mm. that they can actually have a concerto performed as you said it does give this a little bit of an intimate sound and and also just shows that a concerto also is really essentially just chamber music. Yeah. On a larger scale, obviously. Yeah. I think that's what I noticed when I came to watch you guys play at the Bloomsbury Festival yeah. last year in October. And remind me which concerto you played? Clara Schumann. Yes. Oh, and you played the Clara Schumann <laughs> concerto, which I totally remembered. <laughs> Sorry. But I noticed that you didn't change the layout of um, where the piano was for the concerto compared with the other chamber pieces. So you kept the piano at the back. Yeah. So is that a sort of conscious choice just to have the soloist piano like at the back part of the ensemble and not bring it to the fore? I think it's mainly why we do it that way is mainly because you obviously don't have a full orchestra and these poor players, my <laughs> very loved colleagues, have to cover for 10 violins, you know, and... <laughs> I don't know, it's double bass section of five double bass players. So there is not that huge sound. So I think it works well to have them at the front. Mm-hmm. What we're trying to do a little bit is that I am sort of integrated by the violin sitting slightly further to the back so that it feels like I'm sitting in the circle, even though my instrument is in the back. But your instrument is huge. Exactly. <laughs> and it will give enough sound. I mean, there are only five string players. That yeah. <laughs> You're not running the danger of, oh, can't hear the piano. Yeah. <laughs> 
full stick and yeah, yeah. and whatever. What sort of challenges have you faced along the way of setting up this ensemble, especially concerning your arranging? Had, had you had much experience with arranging before or was this something that was new because you felt like you just wanted to do it? It was completely new to me. <laughs> and I just, I just jumped into it and I just, uh, I mean just learning how to work Sibelius was a nightmare <laughs> and learning all the shortcuts of sparing yourself time you know because yeah. you want to be quick with it you can't sit there for I don't know years and years to yeah. type in every single note so I had to learn how to use that program that was actually very challenging in a way but once you know it it's okay you know it. obviously what overwhelmed me at the very beginning was okay what do I actually do so how do I go about this to not lose the piece or the music of the piece to make sure I have the important voices of woodwinds for example mm. somewhere in the piece but does it make sense to always give the flute to violin one or you know don't give it to the double bass player <laughs> <laughs> you'll get but- complaints <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Or, you know, if if it's sometimes maybe better to give it to the second violin because then maybe it gives just a little bit more variety. So, yeah, yeah there, there are just a lot of challenges where you need to decide what do I drop? Do I drop the oboe part? Do I really need to have all of the woodwind, for example, uh, voices there or is yeah. it enough to just have really the, the just the melody that you pick up on so you're prioritizing lots of different things yeah um, exactly yeah and I had to really learn to make these decisions and not doubt them all the time that I also once they were on paper that I don't go but I could also do it that way <laughs> but then if you start think overthinking it over and over and over again then you just get into a mess really yeah. I think for me it was a lot of intuitive work where I just thought, I'll just do it that way. Mm-hmm. And then the good thing is, obviously, then we have rehearsed it and I say, okay, no, that sounds weird, so I'll change it. Yeah. So that's obviously a good thing to do. What I do does have limits. I'm not going to take a Brahms concerto and t- transcribe that for a string quintet and piano. <laughs> I think that no. would be absolutely mad. <laughs> a few double or stops. Or something. <laughs> so even the Clara Schumann was already a push because you have a full romantic orchestra mm. there are trom- trombones and everything I mean there's a full orchestra is there whereas with Mozart it's a little bit e- easier in a way well, also because you have clearer this there's a string section and then there is a woodwind section mm-hmm. so it's not always played at the same time so you can arrange it a bit easier than So which concertos have you arranged now at this point? So at this point, it's Chopin Mm 2. Chopin 1 needs to happen. (laughs) Needs to happen. (laughs) When's that happening? (laughs) Good question. (laughs) At some point. Then Beethoven 3. Nice. I love that one. It's so dramatic. Yes, I love that one too. That one was challenging as well. That one was very tricky to arrange, actually. And then Mozart number 20 also one of my favorites that's why I picked it yeah and Clara Schumann all right concerto cool well that's quite a few yeah that's quite a few and that's that's a lot of work as well yes yeah not just arranging but also practicing actually learning the solo part as (laughs) well it's not like you just give it to someone else and be like right I've got the parts there you go yeah there you go done and not only have you arranged these from scratch basically but you've also had to set the ensemble up as well And I know having set up a podcast, (laughs) well, basically setting up anything that's your own project, your own sort of little thing, 
don't know why I said that. It, it takes a lot of time. What sort of challenges did you come across in setting this up? I think my very first challenge was to believe in the idea. Yes. Yeah. To actually think this is a good thing and people will be interested in it. That mm-hmm. was the first thing. That was way before I even knew that I will find the people. I just because it took me a few years anyway to to make it happen. And then the second challenge was will I find people that are willing to invest a lot of their time to rehearse a lot and also be willing to maybe play a concert that isn't paid for um, to just get the experience and to, mm-hmm. to grow as an ensemble. I think that stopped me for a long time to actually even approach people because I always assumed oh, no one is going to do this and yeah. it's hard to coordinate six people. Yeah, and as I said, so that they also, because especially with the concertos, it's tricky for them to play because as I said, they don't have a full section behind them. They do actually have to know what they're doing. And I'm glad that I found people who are all... <laughs> Really appreciative, I think, so of, of the idea. Run and us through the members of your ensemble. So we have Antonia Queso, first violin, Edward Bale, second violin, Mark Gibbs, viola, Cecilia Bignal, cello, and Mark Lipsky on the double bass. Some guy on the double bass. How did you know them all? Were they people that you studied with? Um, so Antonia and Cecilia studied at the academy as well. Okay. Although we didn't really know each other then. And I knew Antonia from some work that we are doing, or she used to do and I still do. We are working at a, so to say, school where we play nursery rhymes called the Little London Music School. And that's where we met again. And I think it was one of the staff parties or something where I asked her, hey, I have this idea. Do you know anyone who would join in or do you happen to be in a quartet that can do this? And that's essentially how it started. So mm-hmm. then we met up, up for a coffee and I talked to her through the idea in more detail. She liked it. So well, then yeah. she, she did say, yeah, I know people. Yeah. So let's do this. It's always worth asking that question, isn't it? Yeah. Asking if someone's king. Yeah. Because if they're not, then they say no. But then if they are, then it can lead to great things. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So you got your members of your ensemble and then how did you go about getting concerts? Because you've done quite a few concerts now. The Facilia Ensemble is not super old. Yeah, so we started late 2017. Okay, so yeah. you're almost two. Almost two. You're a toddler. <laughs> <laughs> but you've done a number of concerts, including Bloomsbury Festival. You did a concert in Winchelsea a yeah. few weeks ago. And then you also have a tour coming up, which we'll talk about in a bit. But okay. how do you go about finding these performance opportunities mm-hmm. for yourself? So the first thing was, I'm not sure if I would do it this way around again, but because we were so little, we were still babies then, <laughs> back in the days. <laughs> when, we did, yeah. when we did our recording, we did three concertos, each one movement, recorded them in Henry Wood Hall, so a video recording with Alexander Barnes. He was very, very helpful. It was a very good session, actually. And yeah, and I decided, okay, we need to have material first before I approach anybody. Right. Because on paper, they might go, well, that's not going to work. So how, why, why would you do that to a concerto? So I, I felt like I had to almost justify the idea mm. with saying, here are our recordings. Mm-hmm. It does work. Have a listen. Yeah, and then from there, I did a lot of research about all the venues, I feel like, in in England and in Germany and started approaching them via email. It's it's a lot of work. Do you find that easy to do? I find it no. difficult to... No, it's not easy to do. ...send those emails yeah. sometimes. Yeah, it's really 
difficult. Also something that you are obviously not being taught if you're in, in education. I mean, no one tells you how to do this. Yeah. What the best way is to write this email because you don't want to beg for concerts. You just, but you have to say what you can offer and you have to be confident, but you mm -hmm. don't want to be, I'm the best <laughs> pianist in the world. And that's why you should have me kind of yeah, thing. So yeah. you have to find, find the, find that balance. Yeah. Find the balance. I, I do remember that video recording though. And, and you guys did pretty well with it. Classic FM shared it. Yeah, they did. Yeah. yeah. yeah twice actually. Oh, wow. Oh, <laughs> definitely dig that out again. But yeah, you said that perhaps wouldn't do it that way again. Yeah. But I think, it sounds like it's paid off it's it's it definitely has paid off because it just shows venues or organizers okay they are actually doing something they can mm -hmm. play and it sounds interesting and so they they give us a chance to show it people respond quite well to that video that visual aspect yeah i think exactly. it's like, oh this is this is a real thing yeah exactly and also we made sure so um we do have the full-length videos on youtube but i do send out just the five minute ones because you also don't want to overwhelm them because you're not going to watch the whole video anyway. <laughs> <laughs> then maybe see the first two minutes and go either yes or no. Mm -hmm. So the, the decision is made fairly quickly, I think. So. Yeah, keeping it short and, and sweet. I mean, this is a problem that I think a lot of uh, aspiring orchestral musicians have with video recordings. So, you know, there's the option to do a live recording, but occasionally if you're overseas or whatever, they'll accept a video recording. But you have to record everything that they ask for, whereas in a live audition, they're only going to ask you a few excerpts, the exposition of this concerto. And then when you do the whole thing, you just think, does it all have to be good? Like, yeah. <laughs> they're just going to listen to the beginning. And and often you have to have um, a recording engineer sign the thing saying that you're, you've done it all in one take. Yeah. Which is just cruel. Yeah. It's yeah, really exactly. mean. Yeah, but in that video recording, I mean, that was a bit crazy anyway because we had a lot of repertoire and we only had six hours and that included set, setting up. So it was almost almost a live recording. We didn't repeat much. Mm -hmm. We just didn't have the time. And I remember, I think we had, for the Mozart, we had maybe an hour left. And that, <laughs> that was quite mad. Yeah. <laughs> like, got to get it right. Yeah. <laughs> no one do any mistakes. No one sneeze. <laughs> yeah. Something crucial like that could, yeah. yeah, ruin it. And yeah, as I mentioned before, Facili Ensemble is going on a tour to Germany yes. Yes. in September. So what are you looking forward to most of all? Oh, everything, actually. Really looking forward to the concert that we're playing near Braunschweig. Or I think English people say Brunswick. Brunswick. I know that because there's a type of ham that comes from there. <laughs> is that? I don't even know yeah, that. Think, yeah. And it's called Brunswick ham. Yeah, Brunswick ham. Mm. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, that's at a, well, it's an old castle, really. Are you performing in the old castle? Yeah, we are performing in an old castle. That's in, <laughs> That's incredible. Yes, that's wow. really cool. Yeah. And what's exciting about this one is that it will be a live broadcast into radio. <gasps> yes. Live radio. <laughs> no pressure. Exactly. <laughs> so that will be a completely different experience because I've never had that before it's stressing me out a little bit but i'm also really excited about it um yeah i think it's a kind of a uh, good terrified feeling yeah yeah exactly i've definitely had that before where you just feel like this is so scary but if i didn't want to do it i wouldn't be this excited yeah 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 Cool. And it's also just a great opportunity for us anyway. So that's an exciting one. And then the, there's one that we play in Hamburg. And then there's another one that we'll do in my hometown. Mm -hmm. so, on the coast. On the coast. <laughs> the three kilometer beach. Exactly. <laughs> on the beach. <laughs> yeah. um, that would be interesting, getting the piano on the beach. Yeah. What sort of audiences are you expecting 
to come to these concerts. I think you do get a bit of a difference between the UK and what, depending where you are in the UK yeah. and in Germany. I think my perspective is coming from someone on the other side of the world, but in Germany, there's there's such a rich culture of going to concerts. Yeah, that right definitely is. I mean, even the smallest cities have brilliant orchestras yeah. that you maybe don't necessarily get so much in England. Mm-hmm. I think in England you get lots of scratch orchestras, like yeah. freelancers coming together. They're all based in London, but they all travel up for the day to perform in wherever. That's definitely a different culture in, in Germany regarding that. And even the smaller cities have concert, concert series. But then I guess it's similar here. I mean, you also get all these music societies all over the country, which is amazing. That only came up in my research for venues where I thought it's just crazy how many yeah. music societies. And they're like quite often very well attended, even in the middle of the day. Yeah. Um, I mean, by old people, I suppose. Yeah. But <laughs> no, there's a this, this great music society in Aylesbury that I played for earlier this year. At the back of the church, they have a vegan cafe. It's, oh, really? Yeah, it's totally not what I expected the demographic yeah. to be into. Yeah. And the woman who picked us up from the station was like, we have a cafe, you'll get lunch before the concert. Get this, it's a vegan cafe. <laughs> she, <laughs> she she seemed very, very disdainful. I mean, it was, it's a great cafe. Yeah. I, I highly recommend. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, they music societies are everywhere. Mm. I I noticed this being on this side of the world as opposed to in New Zealand and things are I'm I'm sure things are happening. I can't really speak for for it because I haven't lived there for mm. 10 years. I think part of the reason why I'm still here in London is because of all the performance opportunities yeah. and all the concerts that you can go to. Yeah. Moving on now, one thing that I wanted to chat about with you is I've heard that you've had issues with physical injury mm-hmm. in the past. Can you tell us what happened and how you went about recovering? I think this is a A really good topic to bring up because lots of people, myself included, have been inflicted with various physical injuries, yet people don't really talk about it. And then people, you know, have that feeling of suffering in silence. (laughs) It happened about a year and a half ago, and it was at a time where I was finally back on track with playing concerts, and I got confidence, and, you know, I thought, yeah, this this is going well, and I want to perform, and as it often is in life, and then something like this hits you. <laughs> it's still not quite known where this injury came from, um, because even at the time, it was not that I was practicing mad eight hours a day or something. Mm-hmm. And I've never been a person that has been practicing crazy hours. Mm-hmm. I always try to do efficient practice yes. to get enough done, but not to <laughs> overwhelm your body, because yeah. it's, it obviously is um, dangerous or can be dangerous. What was um, your injury? So it's what they call a golfer's elbow. So most people know a tennis elbow, but the tennis elbow is on the top of your elbow. Okay. So the muscles that is the muscle that you would use to imagine holding a tennis racket. And the golfer's is the opposite. So it's on the downside of the elbow. So it's the tendon there that you would use if you hit the golf. Yeah. Golf. uh, What is it called? The, what, the golf club? Yeah, the, the club. Holding exactly. the golf club. Holding the golf club. Hitting the golf ball. <laughs> I've never played golf in my life, and I'm not sure if I ever will. Okay, so yeah, bottom so of the elbow. Right. Bottom of the elbow and tendonitis, which was terrifying. And at the time, when it was getting really bad, I had to cancel performances, uh, which is never an easy thing to do, obviously. Um, and I was completely lost. 
So it's what what you said. It's it's just you feel isolated. Mm-hmm. You even feel a little bit like that you're not a good player or something, yeah. that you must have done something wrong. Yeah, or why is this happening yeah, to me? Yeah, something in I your like, technique yeah, must be wrong. Yeah, my technique. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, it was a really tough time. It was also tough just because I couldn't get help or the right help straight away. Because obviously the first thing you do is you go to the GP. Yes. Problem there is obviously that I think, I'm not speaking for every single GP in mm-hmm. this country, but in this particular case... I think the understanding for the seriousness, also what it meant for me as a musician, having an injury or pain, because at that point I didn't know what exactly it was, is obviously terrifying. And then having a GP sitting there just stop playing for a couple of weeks and take ibuprofen is maybe not the right thing to do. No, no. Um, And obviously that didn't help at all. I mean, I stopped for two weeks and I took ibuprofen and nothing has changed. Oh, (laughs) dear. And the pain was still there and it it got to a point where I couldn't do normal things anymore. It was not even affecting my playing. It was affecting me doing the washing up. Sure. Or me lifting a chair. Every time I did something with my arms, I could feel pain washing my hair it's insane that you suddenly or you want to open the door with your key and you go I actually just can't do it yeah I have so much pain right now I can't turn the key and there's obviously terrifying well in this situation I thought my life is over my career is over I Mm. can never play piano again I felt incredibly isolated and had no idea where where to go and then after a few weeks again so after I've stopped playing for by that point I think already five weeks I went back to the GP said I'm still not better you need to do something about this it's stressing me out I can't earn money please do something and by that point again I still got well you still should keep taking your ibuprofen and I had to go back a third time to the same practice or surgery and say listen this is now I'm now eight weeks in it's still not better. I need help, whatever you can give me. And then they finally said, yeah, maybe you should see a physio. If you go to see an NHS physio, that will take another at least eight, if not 12 weeks oh to get goodness. your appointment because yeah. it's not urgent. So they didn't consider my injury as being urgent, even though I said, well, I have loss of money. I cannot do what I do. I can't do my job. I can't get into my flat. Yeah, <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> Standing and it was um, a tough time. Also, then obviously connected with depression for a while because I just felt, as I said, everything was over okay. and I felt alone. Till I then found out about BAPM, British Association for Performing Arts Medicine. There we go. Mm. That's BAPM. BAPM. And it's essentially a service that specializes in musicians and trying to get help. And I got an appointment there, and finally I had someone who understood where I was coming from because all I needed to hear I think at this point is you're going to play again you're not going to suffer from this for the rest of your life we can fix you but you need to do these and these and these and these things I just needed to hear it from somebody who understood the importance of me not playing because that specialist that I saw there he said oh I understand like you feel like your life is over yeah but it's not believe me it's not that alone was so helpful. He referred me to a private physio, so I had to start paying for all of this privately. But I was happy to do that because the NHS, in that case... Took you ages to get an appointment. Exactly. <laughs> not in the right time frame. Yeah, say. yeah. Uh, you needed the, some treatment. Yeah, I needed something soon, right away. Yeah. And then um, it took me also a while to find a good physio. Now I'm finally with a very good physio. Again, who 
took it extremely seriously or could at least empathize with yeah. my stress and the anxiety because also that does not necessarily improve the pain if you're trying to heal but you think at the same time this is never going to happen yeah I'll never play again <laughs> but it was also I think what I needed to hear in this moment was do play don't rest because your muscles need the work still I was obviously not to play uh, allowed to play three hours sure I had to start with 15 minutes a day but oh my god I can tell you these 15 minutes a day were I mean I got uh, my mood improved by 100% by just doing 15 minutes wow Yeah. which is insane but but you feel like you're on the road to recovery yeah and even though it's just this tiny little thing yeah but it is it is leading to something rather than just oh just stop playing yeah, yeah. just yeah, yeah. don't do the thing that you've been doing your whole life that yeah. makes you really happy exactly because oh. they also <laughs> told me essentially you can't make anything worse you're at, the, at your worst point it will not get worse than it is now mm -hmm. anything is it will get better will take time oh, yeah that's a good play. way of looking but play and also play with pain realize that it's there but don't go overboard you always so, so there were there were a few things that i had to obviously watch out for had to do lots of arm exercises stretches sort of physio i mean there was a point where i saw the physio every week mm. um where he would just resolve things in my neck or back so because he always said it must come from your back and your neck because you have it in both arms so the symptom might be in your arm but the problem comes yeah. from somewhere else it manifests its way down yeah. yeah it got better and better then eventually i could play half an hour a day it was even better <laughs> yes and here you are now yeah. playing chopin concertos yeah. but it was insane i mean in that that period where i was practicing just half an hour a day that was the period where we recorded our videos wow i know yeah yeah and i i actually had no idea how much you can do in half an hour oh, you just know yeah. you need to know what to do and this is the only thing positive thing i can actually take away from this in a way is i learned how to rely on super effective and efficient practice mm. and to actually appreciate that you can play at all <laughs> yes yeah. um also mental practice very important um, I think these were all the things that helped me go through this recording and just before the recording day because that was the first time where I then played six hours right <laughs> after having done half an hour each day and my physio was okay we'll prepare you properly for this so she, she gave me a good bash beforehand oh, you, know? Wow. <laughs> you know acupuncture and I will relax all your muscles so that you can you're ready to go six hours mm -hmm. and then after that you take everything back to half an hour yeah um, it's nice having a good physio or osteo that understands or if if not understands but is open-minded enough to want to understand yeah and then can help you achieve your goals of playing yeah. a six-hour recording yeah, yeah. but it was it's still a long way I mean I still have it now and that's a year and a half later mm -hmm. um, but I can say now I can perform without pain which is also not always the case yeah and improves obviously a lot in your playing as well you might It might not even be that an audience member can hear the difference in my playing, but I, for myself, know I can now play. I can make a jump in my right hand, for example. I can reach an octave without thinking, is this going to hurt me now or not? Yeah. So it's a, there's a different approach, obviously, for me now as well. I still have to be careful, still learn that I have to take care of my body. Yeah. Um, and I think this is what, what musicians really, really need to do from an early age actually they need to learn when they're children how to stretch properly that's something that people overlook yeah. completely isn't it completely because i i mean i remember in primary school learning about stretching before you know sports exactly. but learning an instrument 
It's yeah. like one of the most unnatural things you can do. And uh, and we don't learn about stretches at all. It wasn't yeah. until I got to uni that I thought, oh, this is probably probably quite a beneficial thing yeah, to do. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And also other other things that we just learn. So I discovered for myself now Pilates is amazing. Mm. That really helped me a lot. So I'm doing that regularly. So every every week with the teacher and then on my own in the flat here. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I can see the benefits. And I think it should be also at every academy, conservatoire, whatever it is, they should have physios there. But no one talks about it. And that's a problem. Yeah. Yeah. So therefore, there's not going to be any prevention because, because yeah. yeah, no one sees because it even, as an issue. <laughs> yeah, even in my worst times, I found out from colleagues that they were suffering as well. Yeah, and I was thinking, why, why are you not talking about this? <laughs> I know it's <laughs> that, that, that kind of feeling of shame, isn't there? Yeah, but it's like it does affect everyone. Yeah. Like as I mentioned before, I've had difficulties with my with my left wrist yeah. in particular, and then I went to an osteo and had that treated and everything. But loads of cellists I know have got problems in that area, and and I'm, I'm sure lots of listeners as well. So it's definitely something that we need to be talking about. Yeah. You know, if you're a teacher as well, being in that position where you can enlighten the next generation of musicians about how important this is and yeah. If something is painful, what you can do to change your approach or prevent uh, in order for it to stop getting worse. But I think, yeah, the main thing is that, I mean, you had it, I think, with your in your episode with Maddie mm-hmm. about mental health. Definitely something we need to talk about, but also physical health. Yep. Same thing. Definitely something yeah. we all have to admit to that, that there are issues. Because mm-hmm. also it's just not... What's the point of feeling yeah. alone about this? You're anyway. not invincible, gosh. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. And yeah. I mean, obviously not. I mean, we're, we're doing this. I started playing when I was four. You know, of course, when I was from four to ten or something, I was obviously not practicing four hours a day. Mm. But eventually you get to that and then you do think. Yeah, what's your body going to do to yeah, keep up? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Well, that's, that's great that you're on, you're on track now. And yeah. And also just having a really mindful approach to how you play. I really like what you said about how you have to be very efficient with those moments where you know you've got a limited time to play and yeah. you just got to make it work. Yeah. I told you that there'd be some surprise questions. Oh. Oh. <laughs> Everyone always does that. No one likes a surprise, it seems. But anyway... This is becoming a little bit of a, a tradition now, introducing wildcard questions. So this is your opportunity to choose what I ask you next. All right. Oh, so you get three choices. <laughs> you don't have to answer them all. So the first one is finish the sentence. The second one is about concerts. Very vague. <laughs> that could it be is. about anything. <laughs> um, and the last one, childhood fantasies. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Just put you on the spot there. Yeah, you did. That's a tough choice. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm scared of what will happen, actually. <laughs> just wonder what would happen if I ever interviewed myself. What would I choose? That's probably not going to happen, though. <laughs> Let's go for childhood fantasies. Okay, cool. When you were a kid, what did you want to be? Actually, what I wanted to always be was a conductor. Really? Yeah. <gasps> have you ever conducted? I have conducted. Yeah? Yeah. Where? Um, when? That was, well, there was a choir that was in uh, Germany when I was still a student in Germany. Yeah. I conducted a choir for about two years or so. Wow. Yeah, and then I always did a little bit of uh, conducting on the side. Also, the Royal Academy had lessons. I never really did anything about it, though. Mm. But it was apparently something that I said when I was four. 
When you were four. According to my mother. <laughs> I want to be a conductor. That's incredible. Do you think that's something that you would pursue in the future? Yeah, well, I always, I always think about it, but it's just one of these things where you also need to find the confidence. Yeah. It, then also you need to be in the right place. At the moment, I'm thinking, so now I've kind of settled down. I have an ensemble now. I want to make this happen. I want to play more performances. So how do I combine that now with a conducting degree? And is a conducting degree even helpful necessarily? Mm. Or is it better to just jump in and do it? Just ignore that. It, it kind of goes back to what you said before when you were talking about setting up the Facilio Ensemble and how you had to convince yourself that it was something necessary. Yeah. So exactly. it's, it's sort of at that stage, isn't it? Having that self-belief that, yes, this is something I want to do. Yeah. I mean, I've definitely worked with lots of conductors that have that self-belief that perhaps shouldn't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can wave a stick around. <laughs> well, maybe when Facilio Ensemble gets like massive. Maybe, yeah. And then you'll be able to direct from the piano. Yeah. I mean, at some point I always wanted to go a bit further with the ensemble anyway and do transcriptions of Mahler symphonies, but that would mean that we would have to grow a little bit in number. So mm-hmm. we would have to have uh, woodwinds as well because there are transcriptions for small ensemble, but I think you always have at least 12 players. So maybe that could be an opportunity where I just go, and you know what? I'm going to conduct you now. <laughs> Aha, this is my superpower. So where can people follow you or the ensemble on social media? So we are on Instagram and Facebook, both under just Facilia Ensemble. Mm-hmm. And we also have a website that is uh, Facilia. Do you say minus or dash? I never know. What is that thing in the middle? Dash. Is it a dash? Yeah. Is it on? Is it in the middle? It is in the middle. Okay. Not on the not floor. Not on the floor. <laughs> <laughs> dash. Dash. Because yeah. Germans say minus. Minus. Okay. I don't know why, but it's facilia-ensemble.com. Okay, I'm going to ask the really obvious question here. How do you spell facilia? Okay, so facilia, spelling in English, that's going to be interesting. So P-H-A-C-E-L-I-A. Also, another obvious question, what is a facilia? It's a flower. Lovely. Yeah, I stole it from Guadalina, though. Because she has a composition that is called Facilia. Oh, oh! You stole the name, not yes. not a flower from, from Sophia. The, no, Gu- I didn't know. <laughs> that would be mean, actually. <laughs> so rude. Yeah. Who do you think you are? <laughs> Any sort of reasoning behind choosing that name? It was just because I I came across it when I was looking for pieces by Gubadolina, and mm-hmm. I liked the name, so I googled it because I had no idea what it was. Yeah. And then I realised it's actually quite a pretty flower. Oh, is it? Yeah. What does it look like? It's purple. Purple. It comes in a lot of shapes and has Facilia as the overall family, but it has, you know. Oh, that's totally indicative of your ensemble. Lots of different shapes and you're one family. Exactly. (laughs) I haven't thought about this, but thank you. Yes, I've totally justified your name choice (laughs) to everyone. You can follow Elizabeth and the ensemble at Facilia Ensemble. Facebook and Instagram. Yes. Brilliant. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you. That was my chat with Ellie. Afterwards, we sat in the sun and ate loads of berries in the summer heat, discussing life. And I had nothing else for the rest of the day. (laughs) Oh, how times have changed. So that arrangement of the Clara Schumann piano concerto she mentioned in the chat happens to be fantastic timing because if you're listening to this right now on the day of release, 
It's Clara Schumann's 200th birthday. Alles Gute zum Geburtstag. I was doing a bit of reading about Clara for fun, as you do. And regarding her appearances in England in 1856, she was not happy with how little rehearsals the English musicians had, saying, they call it a rehearsal here if a piece is played through once. And it made me laugh because nothing has changed years later. I've spoken to people who have worked in Germany or indeed many other places in the world. I've found this working in New Zealand or Australia where you have the luxury of, say, a week of rehearsals before the performance. And then you get to London. It's play through the piece. If that, sometimes the conductor will say, everyone know how this goes? Great. See you at the concert. And then you bash through the show. Ah. London has really honed my sight reading jobs in that way. So Ellie's arrangement of the Clara Concerto is getting loads of performances in the next little while. In fact, tomorrow the Facilias are driving up to Wakefield to perform it. You should go if you're in the area. That's the reason why I can't have the car this weekend, because my husband's the bass player and he needs to get to the performance. As mentioned, they have a tour of Germany coming up, and I'll put details of those concerts in the show notes. The show on the 29th of September in particular is super exciting. It'll be broadcast on the Deutschlandfunk Kultur radio station. And I'll find a link to it so international listeners can tune in from around the globe. No pressure, guys. Germany is the country that I have the fourth most number of listeners after the UK, New Zealand and Australia. So shout out to my German listeners. Hallo. This week's Music College Didn't Prepare Me comes from a string player who wanted to remain anonymous lest a certain bride come after her. Music College didn't prepare me for dealing with brides. Now, I know it's their special day, so they have the right to be pretty demanding, and I always do my best to meet every request, however wacky. Arranging Shania Twain for string quartet? No problem! Jumping out from hiding with my instrument behind a pillar in a church in the manner of love actually? Sure, why not? But there are times when my patience is tested to the limit. A few years ago, a bride booked me for her wedding. She had asked for a string quartet. So far, so good. Then it transpired she wanted a movement from an oboe concerto for her bridal entrance. So grudgingly, I found an oboist and an arranger to adapt the movement in question. Then, she decided she wanted a copy of the oboe part so she could mark in exactly how the oboist should play the piece. Again, grudgingly, I complied with her request. Then, she rang me and said it was too complicated to write in exactly the phrasing dynamics and ornamentation she wanted, so she decided to sing the oboe part down the phone to me so that I could make notes and tell the oboist what was required. What made this harder was that I was sitting next to my sister while I took this phone call and had to look away as she dissolved into giggles while she heard la la la, I'm sorry, I don't know what the concerto is, so I don't know what to sing, coming down the phone at me. And I tried to reply in a dignified, professional manner. Right, yes, I think I've got it now. Thank you, anonymous contributor, for your story. Was the bride an oboe enthusiast or something, I wonder? Why be so specific? Bit of a micromanager, I have to say. I always think with picky bridal parties, no one's really going to notice all those painstakingly thought over details. And then if you're getting married that day, you're probably all swept up with the emotion of the day to care whether or not the articulation of the melody was just right or whatever. I mean, if she cared so much about phrasing and dynamics and ornamentation, then maybe she should have written it herself. Like my friend. My friend arranged a suite of movie themes for small orchestra for her wedding, and it was epic. 
I got to play. It was fun. It meant she could arrange it exactly how she wanted it to be. That's the way to go. I arranged the music for my wedding, and from what I recall, it was hilarious. (laughs) If you know me or my husband Mark, you'll know we are fond of dinosaurs. And from that, you can probably figure out what I walked down the aisle to and what prompted the entire congregation to crack up laughing as soon as the quartet started to play. I feel like we could have so many stories concerning musicians at weddings, so send them in as well as anything else Music College didn't prepare you for to asitcomespodcast at gmail.com or on social media. That's it for today. Special thanks to Ros Nagy for my logo and Dan Elms for my jingle. A big grand piano-sized thanks to Elizabeth for being my guest and teaching me how to pronounce her surname over cocktails. Yes, now do it again, this time less aggressive. And finally, thank you for listening. Love to hear from you, so please get in touch at asitcomespodcast at gmail.com. Like and follow the pod on Facebook and Instagram at asitcomespod. Remember to rate, review and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts and spread the word. Chat to you soon. Bye. Cool. Well done. It's great. You okay? Yeah. You're tired. Do you want some water? It's exhausting.